Good morning. It's good to be back. You can call me Padre. I will see you after the service, though I don't know who you are. Uh, my name is Alex, to be clear, and I'm the lead pastor here at Courtright. I've been away on vacation. It's really good to be back. This morning, we are continuing in our summer series in the Psalms, and today is actually the last installment of that series. We're going to read Psalm 118 this morning, but first, let's pray. Lord God, I ask that the words of my mouth this morning and the meditations of all of our hearts the reflection that we together will engage in would be not only acceptable, but pleasing to you. Holy Spirit, would you come and build us up, as we heard in our call to worship, as living stones. Build us up as your church, so that we can love each other better and reflect you more fully. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're reading Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live, and I will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. And here the psalmist begins to picture the temple entering through the gates into the tabernacle, which later became the temple. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done this this very day. Let us rejoice and be and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And this this psalm, which was a hymn that was used in worship, is meant to be responsive. So I'm going to ask you to respond in that refrain we heard at the beginning and the end of the psalm. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And you say? This is the word of the Lord. Did you know the average person says thank you over a hundred times a day? That's a lot of thankfulness, or at least it would appear to be. Judith and I and the kids were away in the UK and Ireland this summer, and the whole time we were there, we were guests of various members of my family. My aunt and uncle in the south of England, and my brother and his family in Dublin. No, thank you. That's such a Canadian moment, eh? (laughs) Fred could just have stayed here. We could have just said thank you to each other for the next hour. So we were staying with relatives in England and in Ireland. And you know what it's like when you stay with someone, when you're a guest. You, You feel a little uncomfortable at times. And you feel like you should be doing more because you're a guest. And... So we found ourselves saying thank you a lot. And because we're Canadian, we also apologize. So I think it started to drive my relatives a little crazy. I had to apologize for the kids because within a couple of days of being in England, uh, they discovered deep fried haggis. I don't know if you've tried this. It's not, it's not everyone's thing, but my kids love it. So every, every, every relative we visited, they're like, do you have deep fried haggis? Do you have haggis? Maybe you could deep fry it for us. If you don't have haggis, could you get haggis and then deep fry it for us? <laughs> so we said thank you and we were apologizing. We say thank you a lot in our lives. But how good are we at expressing gratitude to God? It's easy to pray when we need something right or when we're in trouble, but what happens when our prayers are answered? It seems to take an extra effort for us to go back to the Lord and thank him. But God knows that at the core of our dysfunction is a lack of gratitude, and so we need to cultivate thankfulness in our hearts, in our homes, in the church, and as it spreads out into our culture. We've looked at many different kinds of psalms this summer. Psalm 118 is categorized as a psalm of thanksgiving. It expresses one person's gratitude to God for how God has helped him. Now, we don't know who the author is. There's no title or superscription to this psalm. You might recall we looked earlier in the summer at a psalm that was a psalm of David that he wrote in a cave. But here it doesn't tell us who wrote this psalm. The author is not known, but it's almost certainly a king of Israel, a military leader who finds himself in the middle of a national crisis, enemy armies bearing down on him. And it may well have been King David who wrote this. And this king proceeds to call on God, and God hears him and saves his people. A few other interesting things about this psalm. This psalm is the psalm that Jesus quotes the most of any of the psalms. 
This psalm is part of a collection of psalms called the Hallel Psalms, which means praise psalms, which made up a liturgy around Passover. So Psalms 113 to 118 were used at Passover time. And if you want some homework for when you go home today, read Matthew 26, the story of the Last Supper. At the end of that account, after they've eaten and after Jesus has told the disciples that he's giving himself for them, they get up and they leave and they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. It says they sang a hymn together. And as the final psalm in that series of Passover psalms, it's likely that Jesus sang this very psalm, which I find amazing. In Psalm 119, we travel with the psalmist, and we're going to do that today as we explore a number of themes here. First of all, we're going to see how we are called to thanksgiving and to trust, that these things go hand in hand. Secondly, we move from distress to victory, but we find that distress and victory are intermingled. And finally, we will join the procession that leads to the altar, that leads into the presence of God. The first verse of this psalm is a call to thankfulness. It's a call to redirect your thoughts away from yourself and to focus on God and his blessings and his generosity. For he is good. Let's try that once more. For he is good. There's actually no end to the goodness of God. That's what it means when it says his love endures forever. Unlike other loves, the love of deep-fried haggis, for example, or the love of a person, this is a love that will never end. It never stops. And it's for everyone. Here, this line that you're going to be repeating back to me throughout this sermon, that his love endures forever, is repeated four times. It says, let Israel, Israel being God's covenant people. It says, let the house of Aaron, the Levites being the leaders of Israel. So it kind of starts with God's chosen people, narrows into the leaders, and then it broadens out to go beyond Israel. All those who fear the Lord are invited to say, his love endures forever. Now God's love, the Hebrew word here is chesed, which means loving kindness. It can also be translated covenant love. It's a loyal love. It's a love that does not vary. It's a love that is steadfast always. It's unconditional love. And it's part of God's promise that nothing will ever be able to separate us from his love, not even death. And that is reason to give thanks if ever we needed a reason. And so the psalmist begins to underfold begins to unfold his difficult circumstances. He was in distress, but we see that right away he calls out to the Lord. He doesn't try to fix the situation on his own. He's hard-pressed. In Hebrew, that means that he was in a tight spot, that he was between a rock and a hard place, had an impossible situation squeezing in on him. There was no escape. I remember when I was preparing for my comprehensive exams for my doctorate, I felt that way. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, maybe you are right now, where you felt like you were caught in a very narrow place. You couldn't breathe almost. I remember having panic attacks as I thought, how am I supposed to regurgitate a hundred books? How can I possibly know everything comprehensively? I thought only God could do that. And sure enough, only God can do that, actually. (laughs) But I, I passed the exams. 
If we look at the second half of verse 5 here, it says that the Lord answered me. So prayer isn't simply going through the motions. It's not this religious duty we have to fulfill. And I think sometimes that makes us feel guilty about prayer and interferes with our freedom in prayer. But rather, we expect that God will answer our prayer. And God does answer the psalmist here. And he says that he brings him into a spacious place. I think in the summers we have opportunities, like a few other times of the year, to get away from the narrowness of our lives. When we were in England, whenever we could, we made our way to the ocean. It's not too much ocean around Guelph, but what we do have are rivers. What we also have are parks. And there's something in us that longs for spacious places, that longs for a largeness that we don't always experience in our lives, a horizon. And I think the reason that we love oceans, we love sunsets, we love to climb mountains and enjoy those views is because it stands for freedom in our lives. And so much of our lives are constrained. We are held back and held down. And here, spiritually, the psalmist says that God brings him into a wide open place. This realization comes to him in the knowledge that God is with him. The Lord is for him, some translations put it. I can't think of anything worse than living with God against me. And yet, that is where we sometimes feel like we find ourselves. On the other hand, I can't think of a more joyful experience than knowing that God is for me. I heard someone in the hallway this morning say that as they came into the church. In verses 8 to 9, we're invited to relinquish the control we seek to have over our own lives and to trust God. It says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans and to trust in princes. So trust in the Lord and give thanks to him, for God is good. But it's not quite that simple, is it? In the next part of the psalm, in verses 10 to 18, we get deeper into the distress. We've been called to thanksgiving and to trust, but we find the trouble actually gets worse. And so this is repetition. It's pretty intense, this part of the psalm. Surrounded me. They surrounded me. They swarmed around me like bees. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. It repeats that he cut them down. He's headed into battle. His enemies are coming to kill him. This is starting to sound more like a psalm of lament than a psalm of thanksgiving. But God doesn't actually ask us to be thankful only once we have left the difficulties of our lives. Instead, he shows up with us in the valleys. You think of Psalm 23, the most beloved psalm we have. In that psalm, the low point is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and then the words come, you are with me. So God shows up more than ever at those times when we are in darkness. As believers, we are not exempt from trouble. I think sometimes we give this impression because we sing songs of celebration. Every Sunday, we are focused on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in him. But Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. 
Victory only comes as we travel through those valleys. Whatever is daunting and demanding and most difficult in your life right now, you can face it victoriously knowing that Jesus will meet you in whatever circumstance you're facing. Your problems are great, but God is greater. And so this psalm, this part of the psalm in particular, is a call to face our problems head on. Not to deny them, but to expect God's grace to come to us through them. In verse 13 it says, you pushed me violently so I was falling. This king is in the process of being toppled from his throne. He's falling, but then immediately he says, the Lord helped me. God's grace is sufficient for us. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He's become my salvation. In my weakness, he is the strength I need. In my panic, he is my peace. For he is good. Think of Moses. Moses, who didn't believe that he had what it would take to face the challenge, to lead his people, to go to Pharaoh. And God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. And what did God say to Moses? I am who I am. God says, I am all you need. I am sufficient. I am everything. Wherever God's will is going to take you, he is more than what you need. Verse 14 here is the turning point into thanksgiving. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Chloe came back from Pioneer Camp yesterday. I drove up to Port Sydney to pick her up. And I don't know how many years ago it was now, but after one summer where our kids went to Pioneer, they came back uh, and taught us rosebud thorn. Anybody know what that is? So in your chalet at Pioneer, I guess the counselors lead the kids in this exercise where everybody shares a rose, a bud, and a thorn. And a rose is something you're thankful for. A bud is something you're looking forward to. A thorn is something that didn't go well. And there was something new this year, or maybe I just forgot it from previous years. Chloe, as we were doing this last night, as I was saying prayers with Chloe before she went to bed, she said, oh, we have to do root, too. It's rose, bud, thorn, root. And I asked her, what is that? What's what's the root? And she said, the root is uh, where you've seen God, where you know God is with you. We start with roses, right? We start with things we're thankful for. And you can try this today at lunch. If you're eating with people, I'd encourage you uh, not only to say grace, but to begin by saying, what are we thankful for today? What are the roses that we can give thanks to God for? Because sometimes we need each other to remember those things. At Thanksgiving, there's always this awkward moment in Jewish family when we gather for our big feast where, where uh, Robin, her older sister, leads us into a more serious time of sharing what we're thankful for. And the men all look at their feet, you know, <laughs> you know what it's like. But as we get going, it turns out to be the highlight Every time, it's the highlight of the day. And then we pray, because at the root of all thankfulness is God's presence, is the hope that God gives us. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. In verses 15 and 16, the psalmist proclaims what the Lord has done. He said, the Lord's right hand has done mighty things. And then he repeats that three times. 
Now, in English, if we want to increase the intensity of something we're saying, we'll say it's good, we'll say it's better, or we'll say it's the best. But in Hebrew, if you want to say something is better, you would say good, good. Or if you want to say something is the very best, you would say good, good, good. Isn't that fun? That's why the angels singing, praising God around his throne are crying out, holy, 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 as we sang earlier. Do you ever wonder why they said that three times? What they're saying is holy, holier, holiest. God, you are the holiest. And this section of the psalm that refers to God's right hand is a direct quote from Exodus 15, where Moses, after the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea, sings a song of praise and thanksgiving to God for rescuing them, for destroying Pharaoh's army. And you recall that one of the big problems in Egypt that the Israelites faced was idolatry. And here, the message of the psalm, and it came up earlier when, said, don't, when he said, don't put your trust in humans, don't put your trust in princes, is that whatever you live for, that's what you're serving. And so as the Israelites were slaves in, in Egypt, sometimes we risk being slaves in our own way. One thing we turn to in our lives for meaning is work. And work is a good thing. It's a gift from God. But if you build your life around work and you lose your job or you don't enjoy success in your career or in your studies, you will despair. If you build your life around your friends, around the community of family and friends you have, good things to be sure. But if you rest on those things, if those people leave you, or if they betray you, you will end up angry and bitter. But if you are God-centered, if you see the thankfulness in your life as rooted in God, you can have the freedom that comes as God intervenes to save his people. A, A turning point in this psalm comes when the gate opens, the gate to the temple, the gate that leads God's people into worship. Here we begin to be drawn back into the community experience of worship. At the beginning of this psalm, there was a reference to the people of Israel, to the house of Aaron. It was set in the community context. But here we return to that after going through the valley with the psalmist. In verse 25, when the psalmist cries out, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. It's not me. It's become us all over again. And he comes back to this communal voice that he started with. This journey through enemies and through lament, through this dark valley, into thanksgiving, only happens in the company of God's people. And so this psalm is framed by community. That's how God nurtures thanksgiving in us. That's one of the most important ways. He gives us this gift of salvation, and he invites us to share it with others. When we're in the darkest places, sometimes we choose to stay alone. We choose to be isolated from people. But when we're in Christ, we're never alone. One of my favorite passages in the Bible on Thanksgiving is in Colossians 3. Paul writes there that as members of one body, as members of the church, we are called to peace. I love that image of being called to peace. And being thankful, being grateful is central to that. And it turns out that 
what we do when we gather, when we're called to worship like this on a Sunday morning, when we sing, when we receive teaching, when we admonish one another, Paul talks about that with gratitude in our hearts. That's part of us leaving behind our isolation, the fragmentation of our lives. A friend of mine likes to say that when we worship on Sunday mornings, we borrow hope from one another. I found that compelling. Sometimes you might not feel like coming to worship on Sunday morning. Other times you know you have to be here. Some of you came today needing to find hope. You're in really difficult circumstances. Some of you came being pretty happy and not bothered by much right now. Maybe even a little complacent in that, if you're honest. I think of those stone walls in England. You know, the dry stone? They're pretty amazing. These craftsmen who put them together without mortar, without anything to hold them together, skillfully putting stone on top of stone. It's so much harder for us as a community to stay together, right? Because we are difficult. We are impatient. We don't know how to love each other. We won't forgive each other often. And yet, we have the Holy Spirit who is better than any mortar. And we can borrow hope from each other. We can bear each other's burdens. You're here with other pilgrims this morning on a journey that leads to God. And every Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit teaches and admonishes you through our worship together that you are not alone. Even right now, you're changing. You're being shaped into someone who more and more reflects God's goodness and glory. Do you believe that? I hope you do. I hope you look around this room and see the living stones from Ephesians 2 that we heard about in our call to worship. You know, we're going to have a renovation starting in just a few weeks in this room, and we're going to actually have to vacate this room and worship. Where will we go? The gym, right? Somebody knew, yeah. But the construction project that the Holy Spirit brings into reality is so much more significant. Now, I'm excited about our renovation, don't get me wrong, but why don't you stand up with me just for a minute? Stand up, because you've been sitting there staring at me for a while, it's making me nervous. And, and do, a, do a 360. Is that a full turn? Or is, yeah, three, do a 360. Just turn around in your seat. And Because when you're staring at me, you don't see the people who you're with. And I'm going to invite you just to pray with me now. So close your eyes. Holy Spirit, sometimes we talk about the church like it's a community that's ordinary. We ask for volunteers. We There's paperwork. There's emails. I pray that that this, that today and this fall, that you would increase our excitement at this building project that you so love, that you are so passionate about, that is your church. And I pray that each one of us will see ourselves as these living stones 
And that this gate that we read about, the gate that the psalmist refers to that leads into the temple, that, that there may be a gate that you're showing us that we can walk through, a risk that we can take so that your body is built up. Would you show us what that could look like so that we're not just spectators missing out on your grace so powerfully just beneath the surface of your church. Amen. Sit down. That's not the end of the sermon. That was just a middle of the sermon thing. <laughs> maybe not Maybe not middle. Yeah. Because there's a really important part coming. And God is good. In verse 22, in what may be the climax of this whole psalm, we read that We read about the stone that the builders rejected. And here, the king who wrote this psalm is referring to himself, but this psalm is maybe the most important messianic psalm in the whole book of Psalms. It's a psalm that points to Jesus. And so that verse, verse 22, is picked up in the New Testament. And we come to understand that Jesus is the stone the builders rejected. He is the cornerstone of what God is doing. He's the new and living way into God's presence. We no longer need the temple. We no longer need the sacrifices. In fact, that's what that strange verse means when it says, with bows in hand. It's talking about palms. Palms were a symbol of victory. So, with bows in hand, join in the festal procession. What's that? Well, that's a procession that's part of a festival. Up to the horns of the altar, another weird phrase. The altar in the tabernacle and later the temple actually had horns on it. And there's some debate about what they were for, whether to secure animals for sacrifice. Blood was sometimes sprinkled on them. But this reference here points again to Jesus, Jesus who lays himself down on that altar. So the altar is no longer an altar. The altar becomes a table, a table where we don't have to work. We don't have to be religious and do our duty and be good people but where we receive God's grace, that we gather around as a community. It's a table where we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which we also call Eucharist. Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving. At the very heart of our worship life as the church is a sacrament that simply means thank you. And so Jesus invites us to cross over from death to eternal life. Not through living a good life and trying really hard. When Paul says in Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's saying you can pass from death to life. You can be free from guilt and fear, from anger and bitterness, from the weight of self-condemnation, from the reality that you are not righteous, that on your own you cannot pass through that gate into the presence of God and be at home with him as you were created to be. Not unless Jesus covers you with his grace and his goodness. And he does. For God is good. Peter quotes from this psalm and talks about Jesus being the stone the builders rejected who has become the cornerstone. He goes on to say, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession." that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You, all of you today, are the people of God. And you have been chosen. You have been set apart. You have been given a destiny greater than what you could have imagined. To proclaim what the Lord has done. To point to the light. To share the gift of salvation. As well as the everyday gifts you've received. Jesus is inviting you to enter into the presence of God. What is the gate he's holding open for you today? How is he taking you deeper into a life of trusting him? So give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that though we are people with hard hearts, Though we are cynical, though we don't expect much most of the time, you send your Holy Spirit to soften that hardness. You forgive us. You point out to us the way that you have intervened in our lives, the history of your presence the roses, the buds, the thorns, through the years. You remind us of who you are. Lord, fill us with gratitude today at the beauty of your salvation and bind us together as your people in Jesus Christ. Amen. On the last Sunday of the month, an offering, and today is the last Sunday of the month. Uh, If you're visiting with us, we don't want you to feel any pressure to give. This offering is for those of us who call Courtright our home church. And some of you I know give through PAR. Um, You're welcome to give. This is part of our worship this morning. So let's continue to praise God.
sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above Please be seated. And shall we pray? It is verily meet, right, and our bounden duty that we should at all times and in all places give you thanks, O Father. And we recognize more than ever, having heard the message this morning, that we are indeed bound to give you thanks. For all your goodness to us. We have met together in this place as a company of people who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Who have been awakened to our need of him by the working of your Holy Spirit. People who have been blessed with the gift of faith and repentance. People who have been drawn into a living relationship with you through Jesus. And we praise you and we thank you. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who not only indwells each of us, making us a temple of the Holy Spirit but indwells us all together and making us together a glorious temple to the Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for the prospect that is before us of being with you, world without end, in the joy of your presence continually. We thank you for the assurance that regardless of what valleys we travel through and how deep they may be, At the end of the valley is the Lord of glory, and through the valley is the Lord with us. And we thank you. We thank you for meeting our needs so marvelously throughout our lives. Even though you have us go through deep waters and through the fire at times, we have never been able to say the Lord has failed us. But rather, you've come through for us time and time and time again, and we bless your name. And now we're here this morning, Lord, to bring you the needs of our hearts, of our church. And we begin by praying that we will be the people together that you want us to be, a people who reflect the glory of Jesus to the world around. We pray for the, a deepening work of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives, That Jesus may be seen in us, heard in our speech, felt in our touch. Lord, make us, we pray by your grace, make us the people that Jesus has died to make possible. And we bring you our needs as a fellowship this morning. We pray for the upcoming renovations that will be taking place. And we ask that these will 
take place with a, a minimum of dislocation for us. But whatever the dislocation is, Lord, we know you will be with us and you will continue to bless us as we go through this. We pray for safety and protection for those who will be doing the work. And we thank you, Lord, that we have to do these renovations so that all of us can be together worshiping you. We thank you for the way you're blessing this congregation. We pray for the personal needs within this fellowship. We think of those who mourn. We pray that the peace of Christ may continue to sustain them. We think of those who struggle with health issues. We remember particularly Carol Osborne. Father, she's been missing from this fellowship for too long. And we ask you to be with her and grant her the healing that she seeks. And for others, Lord, who are missing from our fellowship by reason of travel, we pray for safety. We pray that you'll bring them back safely to us, refreshed, ready to join with us in another year of ministry. We pray this morning for those within this city who are charged with our protection. We think of the police force particularly and how we pray that you will protect them as they protect us. Keep them also, Father, from the temptations of